Father, it's my prayer this morning that you would increase our knowledge of you. You would increase our understanding of what is in your word. I pray that you would then give us the application of wisdom to take what we know and understand and apply it to our lives. And I ask today, God, for the utterance of wisdom as I speak, for that spiritual gift, and I pray that you would give all of us the gift of hearing, that we would learn from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as a reminder from last week, we're into this new series called As I Have Loved You. It's a series on the family of God. And I want to kind of back up to where we started. This is the second week in the series. Last week, we began looking at a passage from 1 John where John teaches on fellowship. And what we saw in that is that there is a fellowship that exists eternally between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Fellowship is not something God created just for us to do or something that He created as a gift to the church, but fellowship existed eternally before there was ever a human being. If God never made any of us, there would still be fellowship between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. But when, when we believe in Christ and we confess Him with our mouth as Lord and we are saved, we are received into this fellowship. God doesn't just create an environment for us to live in, even a godly environment for us to live in, but He actually invites us into this fellowship that has existed for all of eternity. He invites us into His family. He adopts us in and invites us in to be a part of it and to receive the inheritance in that family. It's an amazing picture. And so all of us who are invited into that fellowship, all of us who are received into it, we're not just bound to the Father and the Son and the Spirit, but we're also bound to one another. We are bound to one another in joy. We are this brand new family that is created for all of the people who believe upon Christ, and now we're together. And it's not, even, it's not something we should run from. It's something we should embrace because it is for our good. So John taught that which we have seen and we heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. And we talked about last week that that language means all of our joy. There is a joy that will be missing from our life if we do not practically participate in the fellowship of the saints in the family of God. Because He has intended joy for us in that family. And so last week our conclusion was that the primary relational goal that we should seek after in the church is fellowship. A word in the Greek that is koinonia, which means to participate together in a common life. And I submit to you that in the church, the common life that we're to participate in is not that we would all have a common hobby or not that we would all be in a common life season. It's not a common business that we're running. We're not trying to find a group with like personalities. That is how the world builds fellowship. That is not how the church builds fellowship. As a matter of fact, we don't build it. We enter into it. What is the fellowship? that all of us in this room, in this church, would participate in the life of Christ. That's the primary goal that we have when we come together, corporately, in small groups, when we get to know each other. The goal is participate together in the life of Christ. Connections are important. Friendships are important. Relational needs are important. But if you make your participation in the church... If your primary aim is to meet your relational needs, you're going to miss that aim every time. You're going to miss the goal every time because that's not the goal. The goal is participate in the life of Jesus together. Worship Him together. Learn from Him together. Rely on Him together. Suffer for Him together. Partner in His mission together. And as we do that, as we do that together and we help each other, God connects us. He gives us friendships. He gives us connections that we could never create on our own. 
He doesn't leave those things to the side. He tells us, focus on loving Jesus better together, and I will bind you in joy. That's the picture. So the strength of our fellowship with one another is directly determined by the maturity of our fellowship with Christ. When we are immature in our own relationship with Jesus, we are going to struggle in fellowship with other believers. But when we are strong in our fellowship with Christ, then our fellowship with one another will be strong as well. So that was last week. There's about a dozen sermons in this series. Nine of them are instructional. Nine of these sermons will be things that we will see that we are told to do as we live together in the family of God. But the first three of these sermons are foundational starting with this idea of fellowship and now continuing today with another teaching from John, this time his gospel, with a beautiful illustration of what we talked about last week, which is fellowship. So the point today is to try to build on that foundation a little bit more, understanding koinonia and understanding how we share in the common life of Christ. So let me invite you, if you have a Bible this morning, to turn to John 15. If you do not have a Bible, there are some on the back table. We would love to give you one of those as a gift from our church. And if you're a note taker, if you want to pull out the worship guide, there's some fill in the blanks that we'll get to in a moment, some places for you to take your own notes. What we're going to do is we're going to begin by walking verse by verse through the first six verses of John 15 that Sam just read to us. We're going to start with the first six verses And then we're going to try to summarize that verse. I've given you some blanks just to take your own notes. Let's begin with verse 1. Father, I pray that you would help us to learn. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. That is a beautiful illustration of what we just talked about. That's fellowship. That is the fellowship that has existed for all of eternity. The Son is the vine, and his father is the vine dresser, and the father cares for his son. He takes care of his son. That's the picture. That's the fellowship that has existed for all of eternity. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus now turns his attention to the branches that are in the vine, and he's going to explain to us in verse 5 that all of us, we're the branches. He is the vine, his father is the vine dresser, and you and I, we are branches, those of us who are in Christ. And he shows us here that there are two types of branches attached to the vine. One One type is a branch that does not bear fruit. And Jesus says that ultimately what will happen to that branch is it will be taken away. It's a word that means remove or carry away, carry off. It can mean to lift up. There are some people who have taught, well, what this means is that this branch is in the dirt, and so Jesus lifts it up so it will eventually bear fruit. But I don't believe... The entire text supports that because in verse 6, the branches that have not borne fruit are gathered together and they are thrown into the fire and burned, which is a picture of judgment. So I believe very clearly what Jesus is saying is these branches that do not bear fruit, they will eventually be carried off, they will be removed, and their end will be destruction. The other type of branch is the ones that do bear fruit. Those branches will be pruned so that they bear more fruit. So what is Jesus teaching us here? First of all, God takes care of the branches the same way He takes care of the vine. When you are in Christ, and you belong to Him, and you are in the vine, and you are bearing fruit, He cares for you just like He cares for His Son. He takes care of you the way He takes care of Jesus. I hope that excites you. I hope that stirs your heart that your Father in heaven 
will care for you the way He cares for His Son, Jesus. He takes care of these branches that are truly part of the vine. That's that same picture of fellowship we just talked about from last week. The Father and the Son have always been together. The Spirit of God is there. The vine and the vine dresser. And now we have these branches. The people of God. We have been grafted into, joined into this fellowship that has existed for centuries in earthly terms and eternity in heavenly terms. We are joined to this fellowship, the branches to the vine. And He looks upon us the way that He looks upon Christ. And He prunes us. Something very important to understand. What is pruning? It means to be cleaned, to clear away. I am not a gardener at all. But pruning is part of cutting away that which would threaten growth. Cutting away that which is dead or dying. Clearing away that which surrounds something that is alive so that it can grow and it can live. Who gets pruned? The believers that are bearing fruit. Pruning is not always enjoyable. Pruning involves cutting and removing, and it sometimes is painful. Sometimes when we're going through affliction and difficulty, and we're a Christian that bears fruit, our tendency is to say, God, why? Look at, look at what my life is producing. Look at the good in my life. Look at what is being done through me. Why am I in this affliction? Why am I in this pain? Why am I in this suffering? Why am I going through pruning? I'm bearing fruit. And the Scripture says, yes. And He loves you and wants you to bear more fruit. And so He will prune you so that happens. He will clear the things away that would prevent you from growing and bearing fruit. The other picture here is these dead branches. They're not bearing fruit. I think it's very clear for us to understand here, very important for us to understand clearly here. These branches are not removed because they're not bearing fruit. These branches are removed because there's really no life in them. They're not bearing fruit because they're not truly in the vine. If they were truly in the vine, they would bear fruit. Look at verse 8. My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. True disciples are in the vine and they bear fruit. Branches that are not bearing fruit are not bearing fruit because they're really not in the vine. It's important to understand that because this is not works-based. This is not Jesus saying, well, if you don't bear enough fruit, if you don't do enough things, God's going to come cut you off and throw you away. It's not the picture. The picture is there are branches attached to Jesus that are not truly in the vine. And because they're not truly in the vine, they're not bearing fruit. And at some point, God will clear them off. Through discipline, through revealing their true character, through death. God will remove them away. Why did Jesus use that phrase, every branch in me? Because usually when we hear that language that someone is in me, in Christ, it's salvation. But we do see pictures in Scripture where people are attached to Jesus in a way, but it's not saving attachment. Judas is an example of that. At the Last Supper, when Jesus told the table of His disciples, one of you will betray me, everybody didn't turn and look at Judas and say, I knew it. They were all sitting there going, who is it? Is it me? No one suspected Judas because no one could tell at that point he was not a true disciple. 
about the parable of the wheat and the weeds in the field where the landowner has a field and he's growing wheat, but someone comes in and plants weeds among the wheat and they start sprouting up. And the servants come and they say, Master, someone has done this. Do you want us to go rip up all the weeds? And he says, no. Because if you do that, you might get some of the wheat with them. Leave it to the harvest. And when the harvest, I'll send the workers and they'll come and they'll separate the wheat and the weed. Jesus says that will be the end when the angels come and take those who are truly of God and those who are not will go to destruction. We can't always tell. John, in 1 John, he is, he's, he's trying to comfort the church and he's saying, I know people have left the faith from among you. I know that's happened. You've had people in the church, they've left, they've left the faith. And then John says, but let me explain to you. They left because they were never actually of you to begin with. If they had been truly of you, they would not have left. The point and picture is this. You can have an attachment to Jesus that's not saving attachment. You can like the idea of Jesus. You can like the idea of being in a community. You can like the idea of being a little religious. But ultimately, you will not bear fruit of godliness, of godly character, godly works, and eventually... The true state of those people will be revealed. That's the picture here. And we're going to talk a little bit about how we really know we are in the vine. Verse 3, Jesus says to His disciples, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So He's telling those that are listening, you have been saved. That's the picture there. That's the, the language. You've been clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Think about the word that Jesus is speaking. It's doing one of two things, even for the disciples. It's pruning them or it's driving them away. Do you remember the pictures in the Gospels that Jesus would speak? He would say hard things and people would leave him. And his disciples would look at him and say, what are you doing? We had this huge crowd of people and you start talking really difficult about feasting on your life, and people are confused. What are you doing? And Jesus looks at them and says, are you going to leave too? And they say, well, no, where would we go? You have the word of life. Even in His day, Jesus was speaking, and people were either being pruned to bear more fruit, or they were being removed. He looks at these disciples. He said, you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So, verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So verse 3, he says, you are clean, you are saved. Now what? Abide. Abiding is not an instruction just for an immature disciple. It's not an instruction for someone who just needs to bear more fruit. It is the instruction for everyone who is a true believer. Are you clean because of Christ? Are you saved today, believing upon Jesus? If so, here's your instruction, abide in me. Remain in me. This is Jesus calling us, after you're saved, stay in fellowship with me. There is no picture in the Bible of walking an aisle, saying a prayer, and going, all right, I'm going to heaven. I'll see you when I get there, God. The picture is, if you're really saved, you abide. You remain in fellowship with Jesus. Abide in me. What is he saying? He's saying, hold on to me, cling to me. But listen, it's not just hold on to me and cling to me so that you can bear fruit. He's not just saying hold on to me and cling to me so you can do great things. As the branch, verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
Why can a branch not bear fruit by itself? Because life is not in the branch. Life is in the vine. You die if you're cut off from the vine. The branch will wither. It's not just if you don't abide, you're not going to bear fruit. If you don't abide, you will die. You will die spiritually because the life is in Christ. Your life of faith is in Jesus. And if you're not abiding with Jesus, you die spiritually. That's the picture. Everything the branch needs and everything the branch wants is in the vine. It derives the sap of life from the vine. It relies on the life of the vine. And that is Jesus saying, this is Christianity. You're clean, you're saved. Feast on my life. Receive my life into your own. Receive my life so that you can live spiritually. Yes, so you can bear fruit, but so that you can live. Get your life from me. This is what we're talking about in fellowship. Sharing the common life of Christ. Participating in the common life of Christ. If you and I in this room, if we're to have spiritual life, it's looking at Jesus, clinging to Him, receiving from Him. It's receiving life from Him, and we do that together. We participate in His life because without His life, we have none. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me, and I in Him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. How does a branch bear fruit? One way and one way only. It's this simple. It stays in the vine. The branch isn't sitting there going, ah, okay, I got I to gotta grow, I got to bear fruit, I got to create things. The branch is just receiving the life of the vine. And the vine is producing fruit through the branch. We, oh, let's get this. This is, this is the Christian life. It is relying on Jesus. It's not about go out and do great things for God. It's about go out and abide with Jesus and He will produce His fruit in you. He will do it. You're not producing fruit. Producing fruit is something that is done to you. When you are in the vine. False disciples can do a lot of things. They can go to church. They can read scripture. They can say some prayers. They can live religious rules. False disciples cannot produce the fruit of godliness because they're not in the vine. Only a true disciple can do that. The call of the Christian life is remain in Jesus. Live His life. Receive from Him and He will bear fruit through you. And when God comes and He prunes your life and He removes some things, when He teaches you hard things, when He asks you to yield and submit, when He asks you to lay things down, pick other things up, when He does that work of pruning, a true disciple says, this is hard, but yes, God, because I want more of the life of Jesus. A false disciple says, no, you will not tell me what to do. I will not lose anything. And they will bear no fruit and eventually be cut off. Which is what he says in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away. At the end of time, judgment 
of people for all of eternity will come down to one thing. Were they in Christ or not? The reason they're thrown away, the reason they're judged, the reason they go off apart from God forever is because they had no life. They tried to find their life in created things. They tried to find life in career. They tried to find life in money. They tried to find life in pleasure. They tried to find life in enjoyment of the world. They tried to find life everywhere but in Christ, and in the end, they lose their life. Which is why Jesus said, if you are willing to die, you will find life. But if you are insistent on keeping your life, you will lose it. Because only He is the true vine, and there is no true life apart from Him. So, in your notes, the summary of verses 1-6. through six, Those who are true disciples will continually... I'm going to let you pick what you put here. You can put cling to Jesus. You can put hold on to Jesus. You can put look to Jesus. You can put remain to Jesus. Or you can put all of those. I want you to put the word that will remind yourself what you're being called to do here. Those who are true disciples will continually cling to Jesus, asking for His life to be their own. Asking for His life to be their life. That's a true disciple. Looking to Christ because He is the true vine. The first question that before, is before you is, do you believe Jesus is the true vine? Do you believe there is really only in Him life? That the only place to truly find life is in Him. That we may enjoy His creation and we may enjoy the the, the things that He has made, and He gives us those things to enjoy, but they're not really life. Our marriages, our relationships, our careers, nothing can really give us life but Jesus. Do you believe that? Because that's the beginning of salvation. To believe that and confess it. And then, if you believe that and you are saved, then it's draw your life from Jesus. He will give you purity and joy and power and godliness and wisdom. So what does this practically look like? To trust in the life of Jesus, to hold on to the life of Jesus. It means ask for it. Jesus, I'm being tempted. Give me your godliness right now. Jesus, I am weak. Will you give me your strength? Jesus, I don't want to love. Will you give me your love? Jesus, I don't want to be patient. Will you give me your patience? It's asking Him to give you His life. Charles Spurgeon said, the first result of abiding is the exercise of prayer. As stars shine, abiders pray. Why? Because at the core, what we're doing when we pray is we're asking for the life of Jesus. Abiders Wake up praying, they pray throughout their day, they fall asleep praying. Why? Because they don't ever want Jesus to stop giving them His life. And so they ask for it. Here's a diagnostic question for me and for you. How eager are you to abide in Jesus? Answer that by thinking about how eager are you to pray. If you are not eager to pray, you are not yet eager to abide. Because the beginning of abiding is asking. Praying continually. Jesus, give me your life. I need it. It's going to be a hard day, Jesus. Let me have your life. I want us to do some practical thoughts about that language of having this life of Jesus. True disciples will continually cling and look to Jesus, asking for His life to be their own. Four ways that I see in this passage, there are more, but four ways that we would want the life of Jesus to be ours. In your notes, number one, the true disciple wants the words of Jesus, His words to be their own. They want His words to be their own. Look at a few verses. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So in verse 7, what does it mean? Let my words abide in you? It means that we fill our lives with the Word of God. We learn the Word. We read the Word. We listen to the Word being preached and taught and shared. We get together in groups and we talk about the Word. Why? Because we want the Word to get in us. We memorize the Word. We learn it. Over time, the more we're around it, the more it will be in us. His words abiding in us. And then verse 10 shows us it's not just about knowing His Word, but His Word is changing us. Because we will yield to His Word. We will keep His Word. And let's be very clear what He's talking about. It's not just the, it's not just the letters in red. Jesus claims all of the Bible. The words that He spoke and the words that the Holy Spirit came and inspired men to write from Jesus, Old Testament and New Testament. Those words are in us. Look at verses 14 and 15. I know it's beyond what we read this morning, so look in your Bibles. Verses 14 and 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. When the Word of God is in you, and you are abiding with Jesus, Jesus looks at you and says, you are, you're my servant, because I'm your Lord. But I'm also calling you my friend. Does that blow your mind? I mean, if it doesn't, then either we've so studied this that we, we know it and it's just yes, or we've, we're just not putting enough emphasis on it that Jesus, the Lord of the universe, says, I will be your friend. I will share with you things that my Father is sharing with me. I will tell you what I am doing. I will be close to you like a friend. Keep my commandments. Let let that Word be in you. So we want His words to be our words. We want to hear His words. We want to believe His words. We want to trust Him. We want to yield to Him. John said in 1 John 5, this is love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. What does that mean? For the Christ follower, we don't find it a burden to yield to God's Word. We end up finding it a joy. Doesn't mean it's not difficult at times, but at the end, even after we've obeyed, we'll say, but that's my joy. That's where life is. The Word transforms us. It changes us. Changes everything about us. And that leads us to the next thing. We want His prayers to be our own. True disciples, excuse me, we want His words to be our own. And then secondly, true disciples want His prayers to be their own. His prayers to be our prayers. Let's get, look at verse 7. You're going to do one of two things with verse 7. You're going to write it off because you're going to say your experience teaches you. You've heard people use this verse on television or in churches you grew up in. And it was like, well, you know, I can ask whatever I want. It'll be done for me. I claim a brand new car in my driveway. I claim to be debt free. So you've heard that and you get to verse seven and you say, I, I don't believe this. This is just what this is not real. This is people have misused this. You have that approach to it, or you're going to look at verse 7 and go, okay, I believe, but help my unbelief, because I really don't believe the way I should. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Do you believe that? Why is Jesus saying that? That is the most audacious promise. Look at verse 16. Jesus says to His disciples, He says to us, You did not choose Me, 
I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Not only is Jesus saying in verse 7, if my words are in you and you abide in me, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done. He doubles down in verse 16 and says, this is why you've been appointed. You have come to me. I am sending you out. And I am doing that that you may go bear fruit. And here's what the fellowship of God wants. Here's what the Father wants. Here's what the Son wants that you would ask things in His name and He would give it to you and God would be glorified in that. So, how do we believe this promise? We start here. God does not make that promise to everyone. How could He? If He was to make that promise to unsaved people and to people who do not have the mind of Christ, they would take that promise and they would use it for whatever their whims were. God, make me rich. God, give me my promotion. God, give me all these things that I want that true life is not in. That's how we would use that. He doesn't make that promise to just anyone. He makes that promise to abiders. To those who are abiding in the vine. The privilege of powerful prayer is given to the branches who are in Christ bearing fruit. Why? Let me ask you this. Do you think God listens when Jesus prays? I do. I just told you earlier, according to this text, God cares for us the way He does His Son. He takes care of us the way He does His Son. When His Son's words are in us, He will listen to us like He listens to His Son. When His Son's words are in us, He will answer our prayers the way He answers the prayers of His Son. That's the picture. The Word is transforming you. It transforms everything. If you are growing in Christ, you've had these moments where you have went, you know what, that's not what I'm going to ask God for here. Because I don't think that's His will. I don't think that's what God would want in this situation. Here's what I'm going to ask God for. Why? Because the Word is doing something in you. It's changing how you think and how you feel and what you want and what you desire. You should be, if you've been a Christian for a while, you should look back on your life and say, there were things that I would pray and ask for ten years ago. I don't today. It's not because I don't believe God will give me those. It's because I don't think that's what God wants me to ask for. The Word changes us. And this, is, this isn't a picture of, okay, just abide in Christ and get mature and then figure out the exact thing God wants you to ask. No, no, no. Look at verse 7 again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. This is a call to freedom. Pray what you want. Ask what you want. And he'll do it. Why? Because if His Word is in you, He is working His will in you, and the very thing you desire, the very thing you want, the very thing that comes to your mind will be from Jesus. I hope hope it's not upon me to get us to get this. But I hope we get it. Jesus, your friend, will share with you what He's doing. You'll know what to pray for. So, be filled with the Word and pray. Be filled with God's Word and pray. Do what you must to have time every day to fill yourself with the Word of God and then pray. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The Spirit of God will lead you. What Rob said at the very beginning, you will open your mouth and God will fill it. You will pray and God will hear you. 
because He watches over His Word to perform it. And when you pray His Word and what He has put in you, you have His attention. The power of our prayers are determined by our eagerness to abide in Christ. He is not bound to listen to the prayers of half-hearted people. He can in His mercy. But His promise is, abide in Me and I will hear you. What a church we would be if this is how we pray. A true disciple wants his words to be their own, his prayers to be their own, his love to be their own. We want his love to be our own. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Look at verse 12 and 13. This is my command. If you love one another as I have loved you, excuse me, this is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. Does Jesus love you? you? Answer that in your head or out loud. If you're a believer, you are in Christ. Does Jesus love you? Yes. Does He love the people around you right now? Yes. So what must you do? Love them. You don't get to separate one from the other. If you are receiving life from Him, He loves His church, you will love His church. You will love the people of God because He loves the people of God. If you are cut off from Him and not abiding in Him, then you may not. You may base your love on whether or not you like that person, whether or not they've offended you, whether or not their personality matches yours, whether or not you get along with them. But when you are attached to the vine and the life of Christ is in you, you love you love His church. You love His people because His love is in you. And He says it's a very particular kind of love. Greater love has no, no one than this that someone would lay his life down for his friends. I call you my friends. Therefore, the people around you are your friends. Lay your life down for them. That's the kind of love I'm calling you to. Sacrificial, self-denying fellowship. That's how we are to love. And if you say, that's hard and I can't do that. Yes, you just got the whole point of the sermon. You can't receive the life of Jesus and love those around you. And finally, you want His joy to be your own. His joy to be their own. True disciples want the joy of Christ to be their own. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, number one, these things are everything he's talking about. Abiding. I'm telling you to abide. I'm telling you about bearing fruit. I'm telling you about praying. I'm telling you about proving that you're a true disciple and yielding to the Word. I'm telling you to love one another. Why am I telling you all these things? So you will have the same joy I do. That's his word to you. Number one, Jesus wants you to be joyful. You can say that. My God wants me to have joy. He does. Secondly, He doesn't just want you to have joy. He wants you to have His joy. Jesus finds it a joy. When He was on the earth, it was His joy to abide with His Father and bear fruit and pray to His Father and yield to the Father's commands. And He did that, even going to the cross for the joy set before Him. And He says, I want you to have the same joy that I have. And that joy will be in you if you do what I am commanding you. Abide in me. If you find yourself sad, broken, depressed, I'm not saying there are not things for you to do and not grace God has given you and created things and created means to deal with that. But I am saying first and foremost, ask Jesus for His joy. If you're not asking Him for His joy, you're cutting yourself off from where joy really is. And putting yourself in the position, not just asking for His joy, but abiding in Him so the joy would be there. 
If you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with sadness, do you think in your mind, I need to address this by getting up every day and seeking to abide with Jesus? That's not religious nonsense. It is the Word of God. I'm not saying that will immediately fix everything, but I'm saying that's where we start. And it just might heal it. If we cut ourselves off from abiding, if we cut ourselves off from the people of God, we lessen our joy. We have to believe that because Jesus taught it. So let's summarize in this life truth. I told you last week that during this series, I want the life truth to be the summary of the message. So here's our summary for today. Through saving faith, which is submission, believing in your heart, confessing Jesus, through saving faith, you enter into the greatest fellowship you can ever experience. I'm pausing. There is no greater union than you could ever experience in this life than this fellowship. Number one, the Father will care for you as He does His own Son. The Father will care for you the way He does His own Son. If you think the Father looks at Jesus and says, that's my Son, and I listen to Him, and I, I watch over Him, the picture is He does it for you that are in Christ. He says, that's my son, that's my daughter, I care for them, I listen to them. Continuing on, the son will love you as your closest friend. If you abide in Jesus, the son will love you as your closest friend. He is your Lord, and you submit to him, yes, but he calls you his friend. He will tell you what His Father is doing. He will share with you. He will be with you if you go to Him. And the Spirit will help you live from the life of Jesus, bearing fruit not your own, especially love for other believers. The Spirit will help you live from the life of Jesus, bearing fruit not your own, especially the fruit that is love for other believers. The reason I put fruit not your own, how many times have you ever thought or said to God, I don't have this in me. I don't have this in me to keep going. I don't have this in me to obey. I don't have this in me to love this person. I don't have it in me to forgive this person. I don't have it in me to be bold and share Jesus. I don't have it in me to get up and read the Bible. I don't have it in me to spend time in prayer. I don't have it in me. And God says, no, you don't. It's in Jesus, and if you abide in Him, it will be in you. So confess that. God, I don't have it in me to love this person. Jesus, give me your love for them. I don't have it in me to get up and read your word. Jesus, give me your desire for the word. I don't have it in me to pray. Jesus, give me prayer, your prayer. Jesus, I am depressed and sad. Give me your joy. That's the picture. You don't have it in you. It's in Christ. Draw from Him. This is mysterious and spiritual and amazing, but it is practical. He will be your friend and He will hear and answer, abide. Don't just try to do this flippantly like a drive-by. Remember, remain, abide, fellowship. Verse 17, the last verse I want us to look at. These things I command you so you will love one another. What does any of this have to do with a sermon series on community? Because the only way we can love each other as Christ has loved us is if we're abiding in Christ. The only way we can have fellowship is if we're abiding in Jesus. If you're not abiding in Christ and receiving His love, 
you are not going to be able to sacrificially care for one another and forgive one another and not criticize one another and be friends to one another. You're not going to be able to do that. But if you are abiding in Jesus and His love for the saints is coming through you, then the fellowship will be strong. Our community will be strong. We can't talk about the commands of what we're supposed to do in the church until we have learned fellowship and abiding. We learn that because He has commanded us to abide that we would love each other. If you say today, I really don't love the church, my first question is, are you abiding in Jesus? And if you're abiding in Jesus, it will come. I want to ask the worship team to come up. And I want to ask you to respond. If you have never confessed Jesus as Lord, or if you just don't know that you're in the vine, life is going to be futile because the branches will be dead, dying, and fruitless without Him. So, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Confess Him with your mouth and be saved. And if you are in this room and you are saved, abide. Remain in Him. Ask for the life of Jesus. Remember, it's not about leave here and go study more Leave, leave here and go pray more. No, it's leave here and ask Jesus for His life in you. And walk that out. So if, if your thought is, I must become someone who abides in prayer, start by asking Jesus, give me your life that I may pray. And then, yes, exert your will to pray. Looking to Him, relying on Him. And you can apply that to reading His Word, to evangelism, to whatever it is that you feel you lack. As we sing, there will be some prayer partners to my left. If you want someone to pray with you, because you don't want to just hold this in and pray by yourself, but you want to be able to say it to somebody else and get them to pray with you, then, then come and use these prayer partners. If you just want to talk to Jesus where you are, talk. The command is clear. He has given us these commands that we would love each other and that His joy would be ours. So Jesus, I'm asking today that You would give us Your joy in abiding. Please, save anyone in this church who does not know Jesus. Please, Call all of us to abide and let us learn what it means to get our life from You. Jesus, give us Your life that we might have it. And I pray with that life would be joy overflowing. Life that we have never known before. Please care for us, God, as You care for Your Son. We trust You in that. In your name, amen.